this morning, if you'd like to turn to John chapter 4, we're going to study about an a occasion there in, in John chapter 4 that uh, has always fascinated me, and we're not going to have time or, or even try to, to put out the effort to cover the whole story, but uh, there's a very interesting encounter there that uh, gives us the title of the morning, and that is to worship in spirit and in truth. You know, in this encounter there, uh, Jesus encounters a Samaritan woman there at Jacob's well. And they begin to have an intercourse and a discussion about life in general, about worship, about the intricacies of worship. And uh, it's just a very interesting intercourse that they have. And, and I would, I would uh, advise you to read that uh, from beginning to end sometimes. Uh, it, you, can, you can just learn so much about it. But the Samaritans differed from the Jews in their thoughts on worship. Uh, for instance, one of the main differences they had was where it was to take place at. Uh, the Bible says in uh, Deuteronomy 12 and 11, Then there shall be a place which the Lord your God shall choose to cause his name to dwell there. Thither, or hither, here, shall ye bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes, and the heave offering of your hand, and all your choice vows which ye vow unto the Lord. So it was known way back in Deuteronomy that this place that's talked about here in chapter 12 and verse 11 was Jerusalem. That's where the children of Israel were supposed to go to worship. That was, that was the place that was designed for them to bring their sacrifices and their offerings to. But somewhere along the line, and not just in this occasion, but in many occasions, uh, that got lost. Uh, the discussion between this woman, the Samaritan woman and Jesus goes like this in John 4 and verse 20. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And ye say that Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. So this woman, in speaking to Jesus, said, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. Now that mountain would have been uh, Mount Gerizim. Because up in verse 5, you can see that they were at Shachar, which is at the foot of Mount Gerizim. So she said, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. But you say that Jerusalem is where, where men ought to worship. You know, this wasn't the first time this has happened. Jeroboam, back in uh, 1 Kings 12, talk, uh, he, he said, told the children of Israel, said, it's, it's too hard for you to go to Jerusalem. It's too much for you to have to go to Jerusalem. So he set up a golden calf and Dan and Bethel. And by the way, Dan and Bethel and Shachar are all in modern-day Palestine. That's, that's where they, they uh, were located. There was some distance in between them. But in that area, the, this was not a new thing. Uh, they had been conditioned to not go to Jerusalem for various reasons. Uh, in Jeroboam's case, he didn't want them to go to Jerusalem because he thought they would go back to, to worshiping the way they should worship. 
and that he would lose control over them. In uh, Genesis 33, all the way back in Genesis, uh, Jacob had built an altar right there in about the same place. Uh, so, you know, that was before the commandment came to go to Jerusalem to worship, but we see a history of people worshiping in this place. But the Jews, Jesus said, understood that Jerusalem was the place where they were supposed to worship. And, but he also went on to say that a time was coming when the place wouldn't matter. Uh, there would be a different kind of worship. And we find, find if we continue on in verse 21 through 24 of uh, John 4, Jesus saith unto him, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet in Jerusalem worship the Father. Verse 22, you worship, you know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. So again, we see some very interesting language here. Jesus says there's coming a time shortly when it's not going to be in this mountain, nor in Jerusalem, neither place is going to matter. And then he goes on to remind her, you don't know what you worship. You don't even know. You've been worshiping in a mountain when Jerusalem was the place to worship. He says that the Jews were correct in that they were going to Jerusalem to worship. Now, they all had their problems as just as we have our problems today. You know, we miss the mark many times today. They did as well. But the Jews knew that you were supposed to go to Jerusalem, so in that fact alone, they were correct. But even though they were correct, Jesus says the time is coming. He says, in fact, it's beginning right now that the location won't matter. And then he goes on in, uh, and, and says that uh, true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. And that's the phrase that I want us to focus on for a little while this morning. What, what does that mean? True worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. What does Jesus desire? This is what Jesus said God wants. is for true worshipers to worship him in spirit and truth. So what does that, what does that phrase actually mean? And you'll get a lot of answers to that question. Some say that as far as spirit, that that means to worship God from the heart. Okay. I'm okay with that. I'm not going to argue with that. That, that is very true. It would say of, of truth that as a matter of truth, that that means to worship God as he directs in his words. That's a pretty good, you know, pretty good definition. That's, that's something we all should strive to do, absolutely. No argument with that at all. But there are others who believe that to worship in spirit and in truth gives you license to worship in which, whatever way you want to. That spirit and in truth is within you. You have to figure it out. For example, if you don't want to believe that baptism is for salvation, don't believe that. Believe something else. Work it out within you. Spirit and in truth gives you license to do what you want to do. Is that right? I've got some problems with that one. But he continues on in verse 23 and 24. 
as we see, but the hour cometh and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. Now here's the bottom line. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So whatever that means, you can't worship God unless you do it this way. That's the bottom line. So we see a contrast. Jesus says something, something's fixing to change. Now I don't know how radical, I don't know how big that, that may be in our own minds, but there's going to be a change. There's going to be a difference. The Jews had worshipped correctly by going to Jerusalem. The Samaritans had messed that up. Now they had all messed it up in other ways, just like we mess it up today sometimes. But the time coming was coming when the place wasn't important. The time was coming where you could worship in a cave, you could worship under a tree, you could worship in a building, you could worship anywhere. It wasn't going to matter. You could worship in a mountain, as the Samaritans had been doing. I believe the contrast that Jesus is making here is between worship under the law of Moses and worship under the law of Christ. I believe that's the distinction he is making. Somehow, in some way, and it may be difficult for us to understand, but somehow, in some way, worship under the Old Testament hadn't been worship in spirit and in truth. And God required, is going to require worship in spirit and in truth. But I want you to notice some things that we find in the Old Testament. And I don't mean this to make, make it confusing, but this is, addresses the definitions that we saw earlier of spirit being from the heart, of truth being according to the commandments of God, and why I really don't believe that's what Jesus was, was saying. That's a good thing to do and something that we must absolutely do, but I don't think that's what Jesus was addressing here in John chapter 4. Look in Deuteronomy, the 6th chapter, beginning in the 4th verse. The Bible says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. Now, how were they to worship? With all their heart. You see, if we define worshiping in spirit and truth and spirit as being from the heart, that's what they did. And I, I believe that's true. I believe that, that the, uh, the Jews and the Israelites at that time Worshipped with their heart is the best way they could. Now let's look at Deuteronomy 5 and verse 27. Go thou near and hear all the Lord our God shall say. And speak thou unto us all the Lord our God shall speak unto thee. And we will hear it and we will do it. Were they following the commandments of God? Seems to me like they were. Seemed like they were doing it from the heart and they were to the best of the, their ability they were following the commandments that God gave them. At least at this time they were. And we know that they fell away and came back and fell away and came back. Sometimes it's not indifferent to what we do today. But if spirit and truth does not mean in this instance from the heart and in harmony or in, by directed by God's word then what does it mean? What did Jesus mean when he said there's coming a time now he is when true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. What's he talking about? Well, as far as 
worshiping God in spirit, what if we said God demands spiritual worship? Does that make a little more sense to us? God demands spiritual worship. He said God is a spirit. If God's a spirit, it doesn't make much sense that he would be worshipped with men's hands, does it? He wants to be worshipped in spirit. Went went the wrong direction. John chapter 4, verse 24, God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Or in a spiritual way. That's what I believe. As opposed to carnal ordinances, physical worship. You know, you, you can say that there is a certain physical nature to our worship today. We had to all get up and get ready and put out the effort to drive here today and be here. That took some physical effort. The preparation of the Lord's Supper that we'll observe here in a little bit took some physical effort. And we're commanded to do that. But you think about the physical nature of the old law, the sacrifices, the the following of those ordinances, the moving about from place to place, having to pack up the, the tabernacle and take it with them everywhere they went, the Ark of the Covenant, having to pick it up and carry it wherever they went and then set it up again. You think about the physical natures that 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 required. And then you contrast that with what we are commanded to do today. But let's look at those those, uh, carnal ordinances for just a, a moment. And interestingly enough, we find all this in the New Testament. In Hebrews chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, Then verily the first covenant had also ordinance of divine nature. Now listen to this and a worldly sanctuary. That sanctuary was built by men's hands. And that's where they were to go to worship, was that sanctuary. Otherwise, it wasn't acceptable. Now, if we drop on down to the sixth verse, we read, Now when these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. Who went into the tabernacle? The priest. If you and I had been there in that time, in that day, we couldn't go in there. Unless we were one of the priests. But we wouldn't have been one of the priests because we certainly wouldn't have been of the tribe of Levi. But even if we had been Jews, we wouldn't have been allowed to go in there. Only the priests could go in there. Verses 7. But unto the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. Now look at verse 8. The Holy Ghost, this signifying. What's he signifying? He just talked about that the high priest went into the holiest place once every year and offered blood for himself and for the errors of people. This signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest or was not yet made known. Now what's that telling us? Even though these people were doing the commandments of God, they were doing it from the heart, they were doing it the best of their ability, the way 
And the holiest of all was not made known. It was not made man made. They didn't realize or they didn't understand, comprehend that Christ was coming. They didn't understand that the blood of Christ was what was going to do away with all of this. They didn't understand that the blood of Christ was truly what was going to save us from our sins. They didn't understand that the blood of Christ was all that mattered. They were using the sacrifices, the blood of bulls and goats. That's the best they had. That's the best they could do. So in that time, we had a physical structure, a tabernacle. We had special priesthood that were clothed in, in special ways just to go into this place. They had lampstands. They had burning incense. They had feast days. They had animal sacrifices. They had food sacrifices. This was their worship. And think about all those things, how much they appeal to the senses, to the carnal man. They all appeal to the carnal man. But Jesus said here in John 4 that the New Testament worship or, or worship under the law of Christ is going to be more oriented toward the spiritual side of man. God's temple is now a spiritual temple. It's not a, a place made with hands. 1 Corinthians 3 and 16. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? He's talking about people. He's not talking about a building. You are the temple of God. The Spirit of God dwells within you. Not in a building. Ephesians 2, verses beginning in verse 19. Now therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple unto the Lord, and in whom also ye are built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. You see the difference? The temple of God is the people. It talks about a building, but it talks about building those people into the temple of God. You know, this building we're in here this morning was made with men's hands. God may have blessed men with the ability, the knowledge, and the, the physical ability to build it, but it was made with men's hands. You can ask anybody that was involved in it. There's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears put into this building. But it is not the tabernacle. The people within it, within, inside it, are the tabernacle. They are the household of God. That's a difference from the old law. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 5. Uh, verse 5 and 9, beginning in verse 5. Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house... And holy priesthood. Now, now, let me stop right there. Do you remember? We just a few moments read a few moments ago read that only a specific priest could go into the holiest of all and offer only a specific person. But here now, and Peter is saying that you, you are the lively stones. You're built up in a spiritual house. You're a holy priesthood. And the reason for that is to offer spiritual sacrifices. Not physical sacrifices. Spiritual sacrifices. And he says these are acceptable unto God. 
by Jesus Christ. Verse 9, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. We, weren't, we wouldn't have been royal priesthood if we had lived in, under the law of Moses. But we are now. And holy nation, a peculiar people, different from everybody else, different from the world, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's what Jesus has done for us. He did away with those old things. And now it's a spiritual people, a peculiar people, a royal priesthood. <clears throat> Hebrews 13 and 15. We see what worshiping God in spirit begins to mean. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So we offer praise. We offer songs. We study the scriptures. We offer prayer. That's spiritual sacrifice. That's not physical sacrifice. The emphasis being on the spiritual man, not the physical senses. And speaking of those physical ordinances of the Old Testament, they were until the Bible, what the Bible recalls as uh, until the time of Reformation or a setting in order. And that's exactly what Jesus did in Hebrews 9, verse 10, which stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of Reformation. Or the time of setting things in order. And Jesus came to this earth to set things in order. That's what which, uh, occurred with the coming of the New Testament. Jesus proclaimed that there would be a new way of worship. More in keeping with the nature of God because God is a spirit. Designed to re relate more to the spiritual side of man. So let's see a little bit what worshiping in truth would mean. <clears throat> I believe it means to, uh, to be uh, complete or real. Real may not be a, really good, a very good word, but, but we, we will see that in a few moments. But uh, does it mean to worship according to the commandments of God? Certainly it should do that. Certainly it should accomplish that. But again, there's no contrast there. There's no, no difference. Because we see in Deuteronomy 5, verse 32 and 33, Ye shall observe to do, therefore, as the Lord your God hath commanded you. So did they have to do the commandments of God? Seems like it there. It says, Ye shall not turn aside to the right hand nor the left. Verse 33, ye shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God hath commanded you, that you may live and that may be well with you, and that you may prolong your days in the land which ye shall possess. So, again, it seems like that's exactly what they did in the Old Testament. They followed the commandments of God to the best of their ability, with failings just as we fail today. But Jesus said that the Jews were correct. And that the Samaritans were not. So what's the difference? Again in John 4.22. 
You worship, you know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. So what does worshiping in truth actually mean in the context of how Jesus is having this uh, intercourse with this, this Samaritan woman? What's the contrast? What, what is it that now is? That's what Jesus said, now is the time. It's not between true worship and false worship. We, we can see that. We know even back through all the time of the Bible that they, they had true worship. So it's not a difference between true and false, but it's a difference between what's true and in my view is what, what was a shadow, what was a forecoming of what, what was to be. We see this throughout the scriptures. A worship was coming that was more in keeping with truth, with reality. And that truth being that Jesus Christ came and lived on this earth. He left words that we could follow. He suffered and died on a cross. He was buried and he arose the third day and he ascended back into heaven. That's a truth. And that's a truth that you can hang your spirituality on. That hadn't happened back in the old law, back in the Old Testament. So they were still looking at shadows of things to come. Shadow being something that's not clear. It looks similar. You get an idea, but the full picture is not really clear. So worship today, as opposed to being a shadow, is worship of something that is true, is real, is clear. The tabernacle was a symbol. Speaking of the tabernacle, uh, the law with its worship was only a shadow of what was, was to come. In Hebrews 9, verses 8 and 9, the Holy Ghost this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not made, yet made manifest while as the first tabernacle was yet standing. So while that tabernacle was still in effect under the old law, then that way, that way wasn't made manifest. That way to true salvation was not made known. It was not made manifest. Hebrews 10 and 1, excuse me, let's continue on there in verse 9, which was the figure for the time that was then present in which was offered both gifts and sacrifices. Now, now think about that just a minute. It was a figure... For the time that was then present. It was good for that time. It was instruction for that time. It was teaching for that time. But here's the limitations of it. That it could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. Here's the shortfall of it. Even though it was for that time, it couldn't make people perfect. Those sacrifices had to be, keep, they had to be made over and over and over again. It couldn't make that person perfect as to the conscience. Now you contrast that to what we have today. We can be made perfect. We can be made complete. Hebrews 10 and 1. For the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. But Christ is now the tabernacle. It's not a 
not a tabernacle made with hands anymore. Now Jesus is the tabernacle. In Hebrews 9, verses 11 and 12. But Christ, being come and high priest of good things, to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. You know, there's nothing we can do with our hands that will worship God. There's just nothing we can do. But we can spiritually worship God, and he'll find that pleasing. Christ doesn't need us to worship him with anything we made with our hands. Hebrews 9 and 24. Getting ahead of myself a little bit. For Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are the figures of the true. Now, you, you remember we talked about the difference between uh, what, was, what was true and what was real? Well, here, here's what is truly true. Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. So those shadows were figures of something that was true. What was true? That Jesus Christ was going to ascend back into heaven. That, that was going to be a fact. It wasn't a fact at that time, but for us now today, it is a fact. That has happened. So we should expect the worship of truth to be a little different than it was under the old law. It's, it's different when you're worshiping a known fact as opposed to worshiping a shadow. It's different. We've seen that to be the case. Old covenant worship, which was, was just a shadow, was physical in nature. New covenant worship is according to truth, realities, Jesus lived on this earth. He died. He was buried. He arose the third day. He ascended to heaven. Those are truths that have been documented in the Bible. We know these things. We can see these things. Those people back in that day were just looking at a shadow of it, an image of it, and not perfectly. So the emphasis is on that which is true and real and not that which was a shadow. <clears throat> I think if you look at it in this way, then it becomes a little clearer as to God's expectations of us today when he says that God is a spirit and he seeks as such to worship him in spirit and truth. You know, it's a little more in keeping with the immediate context since God is seeking true worshipers. So what about worshiping today? As I've said throughout this study this morning, you know, they made mistakes and we make mistakes today. It's, it's that, that hasn't changed. That's not different. And if we look at worship today, you know, not all worship today is, is acceptable. Uh, Matthew 15, verses 7 through 9, talks about worship today in some cases. He says, Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me, with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Verse 9 says, But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. So there's vain worship. What is vain worship? Well, it's worthless. It doesn't have any value. When our traditions, when our thoughts, when our desires 
or what we teach are necessary to worship, and that's what we follow to worship, God says that's vain worship, and it, it, it's not acceptable. It's based on traditions of men. It ignores the commandments of God. We may offer it with our heart, but it's not spiritual. Acts 17 and 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, You men of Athens, Athens, I perceive in all things you are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship. Him declare I unto you. So Paul ran on to a group of people here. He said, we're involved in ignorant worship. Now that wasn't to be insulting. He just said, you don't know what you're worshiping. And that was very true. They were worshiping many things. They were so superstitious that they didn't want to leave anything else. So they, they said, here's, a, here's an image to the God that we don't even know. And Paul said, that's the one you should be concerned about, the one you don't know. Because if you knew him, you wouldn't be worshiping anyone else. Well, many times today, we're, we're involved in ignorant worship. People are ignorant in their worship because they don't know. And we should try to, to help them and instruct them in true worship, in spirit and in truth. And then in Colossians 2, beginning in back, uh, verse 20, the Bible says, Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances? Touch not, taste not, handle not, which all are all, all are to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men. Now notice that these things appeal to the senses. Touch not, taste not, handle not. The physical senses. And the Bible says, why are, you, why are you going back to those things? Why are you living that way? Those things that appeal to the carnal ordinances. He said, they're just going to perish. They're going to go away. They're not going to exist anymore. But notice in the 23rd verse, which things have indeed a show of wisdom and will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. Here's the mistake. They do what they want to do. They seek what they want to seek. They see what they want to see. It's all about me. It's not about what God wants. It's about what I want. I may have some wisdom in these matters. I may have some, some uh, religious instruction in these matters. But I don't see the word of God clearly. And I don't follow the word of God to its limits. I do it the way I want to do it. And the Bible calls that will worship. I will worship the way I want to worship. It's self-imposed. It's not God-directed. It's what we like. What we think is good. So you see, just because we worship God today doesn't mean he's pleased with our worship. It depends on whether we're worshiping in spirit and in truth. You know, the Bible said God is a spirit. 
So the only way to please him is to worship him in spirit and in truth. How can we be sure that we're doing that? How can we be sure that we're offering spiritual and true worship that's acceptable to God? The only thing I know is, is to, to uh, look to our authority, to look to the Bible, to uh, see what is expected of us. Worship in, in ways ordained by Christ and by his apostles. You know, the Bible says that the, the apostles were the, some of the founders. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. The Bible says there in Acts 2.42, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. That's something we ought to consider doing. There were many people in this occasion that had just become Christians. And even though they had just become Christians, shortly after that, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, the word of God as they had been taught. They continued steadfastly in observing the Lord's Supper, just as they had been taught. They continued steadfastly in prayers, just as they had been taught. You know, I think their worship was in spirit and in truth, because they were doing the things that were necessary. The emphasis was being placed on spiritual things. The meaning of the words. They weren't being placed on physical things. How it looks, how it sounds, how it feels. So this morning, are you worshiping in spirit and in truth? As Jesus dictated there in John chapter 4. I hope we are. I hope that's our focus and I hope that's our desire. Because without that, it's either going to be ignorant worship, vain worship, or will worship. Worship in the way we want to worship. And we don't want that to be the case. We want to be those who worship in spirit and in truth. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you'd like to know more about this subject or any other Bible topic, send us a message at our Facebook page, The Church of Christ, Wheeler Area.